After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I am your host today, Becky Shrimpton. Once again, Cameron Maitland is coming back. He's doing a bunch of red carpet stuff right now for the Indie Spirit Awards, so you can catch him on Hollywood Suite talking to very fancy people very well on red carpets in Los Angeles, soaking up all that sun on his pasty skin. So go check that out. But for right now, I have a very exciting filmmaker. I'm just kind of getting into her work right now and discovering it, and guys, it's so worth it. And she's fantastic. The fabulous Annie Bradley is with me today. Hey, Annie, how you doing? I'm good. Becky. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's so nice to get people who are making things whose work I was aware of and had watched it. And then I was like, oh, this is yours. And this is yours. And this is yours. And then you're able to connect those dots. And then you have to shout it from the rooftops of like, this person's been doing great work for a long time. Go check it out. Why don't we tell people about some of the great work you've been doing? What are you excited about, Annie? I'm just saying really spectacular year of directing television. So I, I'm feeling very grateful and very blessed for that because it's giving me uh, the ability to take some time off to creatively reboot some of my own personal passion projects. So um, uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, I made a short version, a short film called Blowback, which is a uh, female cop thriller. Right now we're going back to work on uh, extending that into a feature. So I'm going back uh, to writing the screenplay. I'm attached to a Margaret Atwood project, which Ooh. I can't really talk about. We're hoping, you know, things are going to work out with that. As well, I'm, um, I've got a couple of other projects on the go that I've been working on. One called The Cowboy Singer, which is a project with Paula Tiberius in Los Angeles, oh, uh, based on a book that she wrote. And another one called Just One Day, which is a, it's a feminist bank heist movie. <laughs> about why women only get one day of perfection in their lives, i.e. it's about the industrial wedding complex. And it's a, a comedic take on uh, taking that trope and flipping it on its head. That is so fabulous. I'd watch the hell out of that. I recently discovered the old 50s game show Queen for a Day. Have you ever actually watched an episode of that? No, but it sounds fantastic. Wild! Because I'd heard the phrase Queen for a Day and the whole, would you like to be Queen for a Day and whatever that meant. And then I watched an episode of the show on YouTube and it's literally women from small town America competing of who has the biggest and worst sob story and <laughs> and whoever has and these are like harrowing and horrible and then whoever has the worst one the audience like applauds uh, to be like this person is the most pitiable and then they win like a toaster or like <laughs> you know little appliances and things and then they're the queen for the day and you're just like oh my god this person just needs a wheelchair for the disabled son like can you just give that to him? It's mind-boggling. So when you talk about, like, you know, how women only get one day of perfection, I'm like, that may have been the highlight of that one person's life. That's just incredible. Well, and it was also just this really amazing conversation. I have a creative collaborator. I met her at the very first film festival I was ever at, and she used to be an Olympic skier. She was like um, a freestyle skier in the Olympics. And she blew out her knees just before the Olympics and, and became a filmmaker and a modern dancer. And she's just like this amazing character and we just hit it off and we've been best friends ever since. And we have these sort of long elliptical telephone conversations about subjects that we're interested in delving into. And we were talking about marriage. And at that time, neither of us were married. I've never married. Um, 
And so I'm a spinster, which is awesome. <laughs> um, I love that word so much. And, uh, and so sh- we were talking about this whole thing about, you know, you know, because it's the first thing that comes up in conversation when you go in for a meeting or whatever. And they're like, oh, so are you married? You know what I mean? They never ask guys that. No, of course, right. But women. they always ask women that. And then, oh, do you have any children? I'm like, no. Yeah. Detail no. your attachments for us, please. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so we were talking about it. And she said, you know, we, and we got into this whole thing about why do women spend all this incredible amount of money for this one day of perfection? You know what I mean? It's just this one day. And how crazy that is. And she was looking for a new project to do, a performance art project, because we've worked on a couple together. She lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, you know, and I said, well, hey, you should, you know, you should just get a wedding dress and wear it for like a year. And she said, that's awesome. I'm going (laughs) to do that. So she got a grant. And, uh, you know, we talked it out for many, many more hours after that. She got a grant. Uh, We were originally going to try and film it as a documentary. Things didn't work out. And um, she wore it. She got a beautiful strapless custom made $5,000 silk wedding dress so she could wash it. Big, huge skirt and raw silk. So it started to like, you know, beautifully decay along the bottom as it dragged along the the world um, through her life. And she ended up wearing it for two years every day. It was like an amazing, like an amazing conversation starter with complete strangers you know, she'd wear like combat boots and a big leather, you know, a motorcycle jacket and a wedding dress. And she would never explain it. She would just like go through her usual daily routine and in all the projects that she was involved in and everything else and get on airplanes like that. And people would just, you know, like, oh, my God, what is the deal? And they would just start telling her their stories of love and loss and their marriage and what if it was the greatest day of their lives and everything else has been a disappointment afterwards. And there's just so much mythology for women surrounding this just one day. I just love that because to me, it just seems like such a crazy thing to focus on. And I'm like, well, if it's, if that's the pinnacle, then everything after that has to be a disappointment. And what does that say about the rest of our lives? So that's where all those ideas came from. But she actually met a photographer who asked if he could start to follow her around uh, while she was wearing this wedding dress, taking pictures of her, um, who had worked for um, New York, the New York Times and the Washington Post and all this kind of stuff. He was a young guy and they ended up actually getting married. Fabulous. Oh man, yeah. now, there's, there's a story to tell the grandchildren and then like put it on uh, the Instagram of like, that's right, this is the way we met. Art saving yeah. the world. Uh, but it's interesting yeah. to me because then you went ahead and you made a film about a marriage in crisis, which is a film I love so much. And I want everybody to go find it and watch it. It's available on iTunes. You can rent it. Uh, you can also catch it on uh, Crave is where it's available too if you have a subscription to that. It's called I'm Gonna Break Your Heart and you and Jim Morrison, the third or the fourth which morrison is he i'm not sure he's one of the two <laughs> he's not the dead one no that's what i know uh you guys followed around uh chantal kraviajek and rain Maida as they worked on a new album together and worked on their marriage simultaneously and it's a very raw incredible portrait of what it's like to work together and be married and be together all the time when you're two type a people just functioning on such a high level how was that for you you know i think i was very interested Interested. I mean, Jim's married and has, you know, children and, and, you know, that's one perspective. And then I, I never did, you know what I mean? And so for me, I always look at marriage as something like animals at the zoo. So I'm always on the other side of the fence. And I really like being on the other side of the fence because it gives me objectivity. 
So I can look at people very clearly because I don't have any preconceived notions about marriage. So for me, it's always like, oh, my God, it's like a miracle that those people are still together or that is like incredible. So to me, it's very interesting because it is the majority, you know, like it is a huge part of that is about compromise. You know, what are you willing to do for love? It's not saying I haven't been in love. I haven't lived with people. I'm very much a lone wolf. I really am fascinated by it. And I think other people, I thought, you know, this is something very, it's very risky for them to do. They're public figures. It's it's very bold of them to do. And and I knew when I talked to them initially, I knew the reasons why they wanted to try and do it because they wanted to be able to potentially work through their own issues, but at the same time, show other people that it was possible to do that. And maybe, you know, sometimes it's easier, as we all say, it's easier to look at somebody else's journey to find the truth in your own or to find the solution for your own. And I think that that was part of the impetus of them making the film. I said, you know, this could end badly, (laughs) which, you know, in one way, as a filmmaker, you're kind of hoping because, you know, like that makes, you know, that makes for great filmmaking. I'm happy to report it didn't. And uh, there were times where I think everything was on the edge of that. You know, it also was about art. You know, it's also about what are the compromises that you have to make? Are they similar to the compromises that you're making in love and marriage and commitment when you're working with collaborating on art, you know, which is such an always such a personal extension of the self. So I I thought it was a fascinating subject and I was, um, you know, I was thrilled when they asked me to come on board. It uh, reminded me a lot of Alan King's A Married Couple, which people should go see instead of A Marriage Story, I would recommend. Or A Marriage Story, I would recommend. me too. Um, I've never really seen relationships portrayed properly very often on film because I think we're so terrified of having that actual rawness of how those dynamics really do work and how people actually speak to each other when at least there's an attempt or a modicum of respect and there's moments in I'm gonna break your heart where it's you can tell these two people have a great affection for each other and they don't want to hurt each other but they don't know how to talk and there's just so much in the way and it's it's so hard to watch, especially as a child of someone who's uh, of whose parents are divorced. You're like, oh, I know what that looks like. That's that's what that looks like, and it's something documentary can only really do. And I and I also think too with them, you know, like love is one thing, and you know, creative collaboration is another. But mm-hmm. when you are married for a long period of time and you have children, and you know, they have three beautiful children, they are deeply committed to their children and to their family life, and you know, you also bring all of the baggage from your own family lives into that equation. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people aren't aware of how much luggage we drag around behind us. I certainly have done enough work to know how much (laughs) luggage I drag behind me. I have a full matching set. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, crisis and these kinds of situations when something is at the point of potentially no return is when you get to the heart of the matter and you don't realize how you're treating each other because, you know, kids and everything else make, they pull people apart. They're, they're what, they're what connect people, but they're also what, you know, there becomes a lack of intimacy. There's a lack of connection, et cetera. And I know that them going to the Island and then trying to have those moments, trying to reconnect 
um, which is challenging at the best of times. And then when you add into the equation children, you know, that's always, it's always uh, why everybody says date night is so important. But it is, I agree. My partner and I are both self-employed and we both work in the arts, but in different angles of the arts. And uh, yeah, it's near impossible to be like, okay, Thursday, Thursday, you're not going to the studio. I'm not getting any bookings and we are going out together to do something. And if you're on tour for six months to a year, what does that even look like? How do you do that? Like, it's just, uh, but you talked about baggage and dragging things along and and uh, the movie you picked today is exactly about that in the best possible way. And I love it so much. I hadn't heard of this one before, but I'm a huge fan of uh, DeVree Jacobs. And of course, people will know her from uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls, which is one of our favorites here on this show. And a friend of yours made this film. What film did you pick to talk about today? And uh, why did you pick it? I picked Kristen Carthew's the Sun at Midnight. It's fabulous. It's so good. Yeah. I am such a huge fan. There's a story to this movie that, uh, and how I met Kristen and Kirsten, I should probably call her by the proper name, Kirsten Carthew. I was asked by a friend who made an introduction to the wonderful group of people that put on the Yellowknife uh, International Film Festival to come up a number of years ago and do a director's boot camp. And I was over the moon to have that opportunity, partially because I had never been to that part of Canada. There's only two places I haven't been to in Canada, which was the Northwest Territories and Newfoundland, which are both on my bucket list. And so I also had a cousin, a first cousin who was living up there at the time. And so I had this sort of like idea of what I thought that place was. And then I arrived there and these wonderful guys, they run AMP, which is the, it's like this motion picture company up there, Womp. And and it's just this incredible sort of group of collected individuals, some who have grown up there, many who have uh, come there. Um, but there is this incredibly diverse, exciting film community and artistic community in Yellowknife. It is a place like no other because a lot of people have run away there, which is funny because this, you know, this movie is about running away. But it's just an incredible place. And I happened to have a group of 10 women. It just They just all happened to be women. And Kirsten was one of them. And so we spent a couple of three days together doing the boot camp. And I just thought she was a fascinating character. She was a journalist and um, traveled the world, lived all over the world, very well educated, and yet is of this place, which is unlike any other place I've ever been to. Um, there's a sense there of the Wild West, of really, truly the Wild West. And it's just a hauntingly beautiful landscape. And so uh, she made this movie about a year and a half later, I think, about a year later. And we had talked about it in the boot camp. And uh, she had just made this Fish Out of Water, which is this really wonderful short horror film, which everybody should watch. It's amazing. I loved that the movie was of the place. Uh, I really like movies like that because I grew up in Muskoka on like right on Lake Muskoka and my family's been there for almost 200 years. And so I was of that place and that was my backyard, the beautiful, you know, freshwater glacial lakes and the rocks and the trees and the forest, et cetera. We had a 145 acre uh, farm there and lots of woods to play in. So I understood that landscape and the beauty and the connection to it. And how it grounds you. And I think she really, really captured what is so rare about that place, which is 
It is so beautiful and it is so dangerous. You are so of it and it is so against you. And yet it supports you. And it really was a beautiful backdrop for the isolation and the of that of the of the lead character Leah played beautifully by Devery Jacobs. Yeah, she's really spectacular. And uh, something too about uh, Kristen is it she appears to be on a one woman mission to ensure that the Northwest Territories is going to be a filmmaking hub. And uh, all of her films are cast locally. She uses local crew and she trains them as much as she can to get them doing things. Yeah. Um, she really promotes it widely at every film festival she goes to. She's like, come to the Northwest Territories. Here's what we've got. You're going to get vistas like nowhere else. And she's just so emp- uh, emphatic, emphatic. That's I'm looking for um, about not just the beauty of the place, but the capability of the people and the potential of what it could be in terms of making film that we've never seen before. Yeah, and and it really is. And she's um, Western Arctic Motion Pictures, which is WAMP. Those guys, and they also produce the Yellowknife International Film Festival and the Dead North Film Festival. Um, they really, which is a horror festival that's that's uh, happens up there, which is amazing. They they really are creating their own voices up there and encouraging people to come and to experience that. And it re- they are creating crew and training crew and, and, and building a local workforce. And it's, it's really exciting. It's really exciting. And they really love the place. And I would be, if I have, if I had a script that I could make up there, I would be up there in a heartbeat. We'll just tell our audience just a quick little like synopsis of what the film is about, what they can expect going into it. I think it's really interesting because, you know, I was reading some of the reviews on, um, uh, iTunes in the States and um, on IMDb. And I, I really loved it. It was, it was like people were talking about it like a discovery. Mm. So it's a very, the, the number of things that I love about this movie is it's a story of a young girl who's recently lost her mother, who's living probably down, I think it's in Fort McMurray. And she has to go to uh, Fort McPherson to stay with a grandmother that she doesn't really know, uh, her mother's mother. Um, because her father is going off to the mines to work in the mines and she can't, because she's 16 years old, she can't stay in the house in the city. And this is definitely a child that has been brought up in the city. She's out of touch with her culture. She's out of touch with her heritage, um, is out of touch with being out in the landscapes that Fort McPherson, um, which is a very small, tiny little enclave in the middle of the wilderness of the Arctic. And uh, she doesn't really know much, but she's very hurt and closed down and very untrusting, doesn't have a real strong sense of self. So she goes to Fort McPherson. She has an altercation with some kids. She knows she's not going to fit in any better. It's not going to get any better. She doesn't really get her grandmother. Uh, So she steals a boat and tries to run away to Dawson City. Of course, runs out of gas, breaks the blade on the boat, is discovered, come upon by a hunter by the name of Alfred, played brilliantly by Dwayne Howard. I mean, so brilliantly. And they embark on a journey of self-discovery and through many perils, um, (laughs) discover the, you know, she discovers the strength inside of herself. And she really goes on a journey of self-discovery against the elements. It's an, and it's a, it's a, it's a really beautiful movie. I think one of the things I loved so much about it was the, uh, the beauty in the danger 
that um, yeah. she's so disconnected. And it's, I mean, there's really nothing better for curing teenage ennui and temper tantrums than actually realizing what you're up against in the middle of the wilderness and having to take on a wolf. Like, that's that's really going to snap yeah. you out of any possible minor identity crisis you could be having is like, no, this is yeah. what this is what life is actually about. It is, we're, we're very comforted. We're very surrounded by a lot of uh, technology and creature comforts, et cetera. But when it's really you versus everything else, more so, I would say more more honestly than The Revenant, which Dwayne Howard was a part of, yeah. I would say this is actually what this looks like in a quiet, contemplative sort of way. And I'd never seen a film really address survival in that way before, especially with someone so young and using a young woman as opposed to a young man. Yeah, and I think that there's this really beautiful metaphor to the movie for me, where it's like you can't go back. I mean, literally, she can't. Yeah. So you can't go back. When Alfred leaves her at the, you know, I don't want to tell any more about the plot because it's just like, it's such a discovery. Yeah. And, and the pacing is so languorous and so slow and so beautiful. And it just, it's a very slow peel of the onion. But, you know, there's this realization that you can't go back. You can only go forward and not knowing what, what is out there, not knowing what to expect, not knowing whether or not you can handle it is terrifying. And yet that's where she finds her strength. That's where she finds her identity is in just dealing with the, the being in the present and dealing with the now of every moment. And, you know, that is like, you know, I've always said this about surfing, you know, the ocean can take you like that. Like you have to be in awe of nature. It is in all of its beauty, it is dangerous and relentless and mercurial. And it can just, you know, just end your life like that. And yet at the same time, it can show you such grace and humility and show you who you really are in those moments. And and I think that it's a wonderful, wonderful movie to watch for any like I, like anybody that watches it, there was all kinds of different people weighing in on it. And you could tell many people were much older and many people were young and it, it just re- seemed to resonate with everyone. This is the kind of film where I feel like the experience of watching it would really lend itself to a theatrical release. Because I oh. think when you're in the dark with everybody else and you are you have no other distractions, it's just you and the screen and these stunning vistas or these moments of like pure tension and you there is no escape, you just have to commit to it. I really feel like this would shine and be very uh, a, a transformative experience almost as you go through it. And what's so great about uh, DeVree Jacobs is that she is so open as a performer that you can't help but empathize with her. Like she plays, uh, she plays the audience. I don't want to say cipher, but like the audience point of view so well that you have to empathize with her and therefore you live the story through her. She does the same thing in Rhymes for Young Ghouls where you're able to connect with her and empathize every moment. And you're like, oh, I am in this situation. I am facing this danger. And I would maybe not necessarily do what you do, but I would definitely have to react in a similar way if I were placed in a situation where someone something terrible has happened to the person I am traveling with and they're my only hope. Exactly. And I think and I think the, the other thing that's really astonishing about it is when you are from the place you understand the magic of the place Kristen's been able to capture that cinematically you know beautiful visuals by Ian McDougall the cinematographer um, in the handheld in in the way that you the film always feels alive like it always feels like it's breathing but 
what people forget is that up in the Arctic Circle, which, you know, most people assimilate with like gray and frozen and, you know, lifeless and all of this kind of thing is that the tundra, when you start to, when you're just, you're meeting just north of Yellowknife, you're meeting the tundra line. And there is, the landscapes are so, I don't even know how to say it, like painterly. Mm. Like every single time on this wide lens, this two, three, three perspective. And I saw it in a big screen. When the first time I saw it, I saw it at the Tiff Bell light box. And it was just like astonishing. You, The light is so beautiful when it's daylight for 24 hours a day. I mean, that's why it's called the sun at midnight. The light, the sun never sets, but the light is so beautiful all the time. There isn't a frame in this movie until maybe the end when this, you know, and I'm not going to say what happens, but where there, it is, even though you know danger is right around the corner, it still looks like you're in Tuscany. Like there's this gorgeous, like natural light that is constantly, which they shot most of night. I, I presume that probably the entire movie was shot with natural light. In uh, in interviews, she said that she had like a two month window from when they got the money to when they were able to shoot. That that was basically the window of we need to get this now because otherwise the colors are going to change. It's going to be impassable because of the snow. We have to do this yeah. here. And so they just I think they did this for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is bananas. That's a micro budget. It sounds like a lot of money. It's really not in filmmaking. It's no money. Yeah. It's no money. And it's really stunning. And one of the things I love about it, too, is that I like movies that make me wonder what's going to happen next. Like all of that, like, neat little bow, happily ever after. Yeah, 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 great. Give me that on, like, a Saturday night and I'm drunk and I don't want to pay attention. But something like this, what is going to happen when she gets back to civilization? How is this traumatic in a lot of ways but also transformative event going to affect her as an adult and who she's going to become? And is she going to stay up north? Is she now going to make a new home? Where is she going to go? What was she going to do when she gets to Dawson City. And I love that open-endedness of the potential of this young woman now and what she's going to be. And that just excites me. You know, I very rarely watch films these days that can sit on a shot for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about that when I was rewatching it. And I said, I feel like I'm doing meditation while I'm watching this film. Like it's just calming me down and it's making me anxious in in the right kind of way when the moments of anxiety should come. And then you feel relief and there's this big wide open space to feel relief in when she, you know, saves herself. And once again, there's a lot of parallels for me. Um, you know, Kristen and I've had long conversations about this, but about, you know, we feel very strongly about strong female characters that also, you know, have flaws and that are troubled. And don't really know what they're doing. And they're, you know, floundering around in the mess of themselves, um, trying to find their way. And, you know, and then you add, you know, she's doing it physically out in the in the landscape, um, which is a, you know, a beautiful sort of double sort of whammy. So, yeah, I, I'm just I think it's a really beautiful film and I can't wait to see your next feature. Oh, which I hear is going to be Mad Max set up north with a whole bunch of women. <laughs> like, oh, yes. man, here we go. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Well, we're at the end of our episode. So, Annie, how do people find you and your work? And as all these cool projects start to come out, how do they make sure they see them? Uh, well, they could. I guess, you know, this is is this where we always go like, oh, my God, social media. Uh, they could follow me. Probably the best uh, following way is um, you can join Blowback the Film on uh, Instagram. 
You can join A Blonde Bullet, and that's bullet like Steve McQueen, mm. B-U-L-L-I-T-T. You can join A Blonde with an E, Bullet, uh, on Instagram. And that's pretty much, I'm on Instagram. I do a little bit of face. You know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I have a website called uh, Annie, uh, AnnieBradley.com, um, which I'm about to revamp completely. And, you know, A Blonde Bullet on Twitter. I don't do a lot of Twitter these days, but they can find me anyway that way. Um, and, uh, you know, reach out to me. I always like it when people take a look at stuff. I'm on Vimeo. That's a good place to look at some of my stuff. They might like Tongue Bully, which was the film that we shot in Cuba that played at Sundance, sold at Sundance. Um, that uh, is a really one of my favorite pieces of work, short work, and features the incredible uh, poetry and uh, um, dance of uh, Leary McNichols, who's a three-time Dora Award-winning uh, performer. Jeez. But I like it when people reach out and tell me what they think. That's why I make movies. Yeah, be brutally honest. Give her some feedback. <laughs> and it's uh, and can be constructive. Come on, our our listeners are fantastic. So yeah, if you're yeah, if you're contacting, be notes. constructive. <laughs> Obviously, I yes. take all notes. And you know, I I'm I would have to say that it's very interesting to see people reach. I've had a lot of very people that I would have never imagined reach out about I'm going to break your heart and say it made me rethink the way I approach relationships. It made me rethink the relationship I'm in now. Thank you for for letting me go on that journey. And I think that's what Rain and Chantel really wanted to have happen. So I think that's an extraordinarily, well, it's an extraordinarily good outcome. Yeah. Um, for putting themselves through that. Yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough, guys. I've seen it twice now. And again, once again, if you've got Crave, it's available on Crave. Uh, you can also rent it on iTunes, send them some cash. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I also want to shout out quickly to Joe Boland. Thank you so much for connecting me with Annie. We really appreciate all of Joe's work. Go watch all of her movies. She's always a fun time. For myself, you can find me on the Twitters, at Shrimpton. That's the masculine, the Shrimpton over there. You can also find uh, the podcast, at RCMPod. Come chat with us. We love to hear what you think as well. We don't take all notes, but we will judiciously respond. And I think that is just about everything. Annie, let's go get a moose head. All right. I think that's a great idea. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.